Freemasonry has made its way around the world since the start of the Grand Lodge system. And we're going to be talking tonight about the history of Freemasonry in the Philippines and some really cool tales that come along with that. We have an excellent guest on here this evening, plus both hosts are on deck. So we have a great episode lined up for you. Stick with us. Have a great episode right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Enjoy the show. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Historical Light. Episode 100 finally made it and thrilled to have you guys here with us this evening. We'll see a bunch of you joining in live. Really, really appreciate you guys being here. And uh, if you don't mind, make sure to, one, subscribe and also share this out so we can get as many people on here uh, noticing the show and the great history that we have to share this evening. So I'm, of course, your host, Alex Powers. We have with us our co-host, Robert Marshall, and an excellent guest with us all the way from the Philippines, who's actually not with us tonight. He's with us tomorrow. Big time difference. So we really appreciate him joining us live. Um, but we do want to go around for some uh, introductions. Uh, Brother Robert, you go first. Uh, hey, Alex, and hello, Teddy. Uh, it's nice to meet you, Teddy. Uh, ho hopefully someday I'll get to shake your hand and, and meet you in person, but it sure is cool to be able to do this. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what you want intro-wise, but it's good to be back. Fantastic. And then with us, Brother Teddy, all the way from the Philippines, my brother, if you don't mind, will you give us a more formal introduction of yourself? Good evening, Brother Alex and uh, Brother Robert. Uh, always great to uh, have a fellowship with a Masonic historian. We have, we actually have an a organization here that's focused on Masonic history. It's called the Mabini Society on Nationhood, and it's trying to push uh, our narrative to the public uh, here in the Philippines to show uh, where, uh, how we how we relate to other uh, stakeholders in the community. I'm uh, Teddy Kalau, and uh, good evening to all of our American brethren across the Pacific Pond, and good morning to all of our uh, Filipino brethren here on this side of uh, the uh, our side of the Pacific Pond. Uh, I'm the well, for uh, if you want formal titles, I was the Centennial Senior Grand Lecture during uh, our 100th anniversary, like your 100th podcast episode. Uh, cool go. coincidence. And uh, past Grand Orator, and uh, I'm also a past District Deputy Grand Master. I uh, actually have two lodges. I belong to two lodges there uh, in two of your uh, jurisdictions. I'm a uh, uh, I'm a member also of uh, Mainilad Lodge in the Grand Lodge of the uh, District of Columbia, which was the first to recognize uh, the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. And uh, not, not ironically, not uh, they, they came in first uh, rather than our mother Grand Lodge, which is the Grand Lodge of California. I'm also a member because I'm an alumni of uh, the Harvard. Uh, they don't have uh, numbers. 
the Harvard Lodge in the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. And it's really a privilege for to get invited and share with you uh, this uh, the history of a little fun fact. The only Grand Lodge, uh, regular Grand Lodge in the world, which was founded exclusively, exclusively by Americans, but now run almost totally by foreigners. So How that's cool what is that? <laughs> Fantastic. You know, this this worked out excellent because most of the time when we try to have guests on, it's it's often over, you know, in Europe, UK, and it's always like two, three o'clock in the morning there. Your guys' time difference is so drastic, it works out perfectly. It's like this oh, is perfect. breakfast and jump on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so perfect really, here. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Really, really appreciate you having on. And I'm super excited to jump into the topic this evening. Before we do that, we definitely want to give you guys an opportunity uh, to join us at the show, be part of the team. Uh, you can support Historical Light, which is viewer supported uh, by going to the website, historicallight.com slash support, and it'll get you to our Patreon link. And you can find out ways to be a supporter of the show there and get other perks such as special content and even lapel pins and much more to come in the future. So support Historical Light become part of the team, join us on Patreon. We also got one more announcement, Historical Light, HL Media is sponsoring MasonicCon Kansas this year, August 27th, right here in the Kansas City area. Uh, I'm gonna be hosting it, and we have an excellent lineup, including none other than brother Robert Marshall. So if you guys have been looking for an opportunity to meet both of the Historical Light hosts, same time, same place, this is your chance to do it. Centralized location, Kansas City metro area. Come down and see us August 27th. To get tickets, go to MasonicConKansas.com, and we would be thrilled to have you guys out. It's going to be an excellent time. We have a really, really cool lineup, and you can find all the speakers and bios on the website. So with that, we want to jump in tonight, and we usually start off with a little bit of an icebreaker to get to know you, Brother Teddy. Uh, so I have a question here. Do you have family history before you in Freemasonry, or are you the first Mason in your line? Uh, here in our constitution, I am known. I'm what is known as a fourth generation Lewis, uh, and uh, my great grandfather, who will uh, figure prominently later in the story, in 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 what uh, I will be uh, narrating about, was uh, not just. A Grand Master of the Filipino Regional Grand Lodge of the Gran Oriente Español. That's the Continental Grand Lodge of uh, Spain here, before the America, uh, when the Americans came, the Filipinos were in a separate Grand Lodge. Uh, he was the Regional Grand Master, and then after the fusion of 1917, a decade after, they made him a Grand Master. Uh, my great grandfather Teodoro Calo Jr., uh, the son of Teodoro M. Calo, became. Grandmaster in 1974. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my father, who was an entered apprentice Mason, at uh, a year at that time, a year before he became Grandmaster, uh, passed away at the age of 24. So he he wasn't able to finish uh, initiation passing in racing. But but because he's an entered apprentice, entered apprentice Mason, they actually uh, consider that as uh, another generation. So I'm. I'm four generate. We're four generations in in my family. I have another cousin, uh, first cousin who's with me. So we, we, you know, this is a this is a clan who's heavily involved in the craft here. <laughs> That's fantastic, fantastic. So, 
I'm guessing probably your family had something to do with you developing that interest to Freemasonry, but was it your family or what was it that got you to say, I want to join this? Ironically, no. We, uh, as you know, um, we cannot solicit, but we can educate uh, non-members okay. on the craft. So after my father, my grandfather passed away in 1984, uh, there was a long gap where I actually had no connection to the craft. Until finally, my grandmother was invited, uh, and and on those on that occasion, she had nobody else to she had no one else to be with her. So I tagged along, and that was uh, in 2000. I, I was a I was a new lawyer, and uh, I was kind of impressed. It was an installation ceremony for the for the lodge, uh, my mother lodge now, Chodoro M Kala One Three Six, and I was really impressed uh, with the ceremony. And ironically, I did not have friends in that lodge. So after the lodge uh, ceremony, I did ask some of my fellow peers in the legal profession if I could join them. And they said, because I, I had no clue on how to join. So, so uh, that was knocking. That's what we refer here. And uh, they said, well, you shouldn't join us. You should join them, uh, you know, Chidore M. Kalo. And uh, so how do I go about that? So it was a long process of them educating me. And uh, through, a, you know, pro we have proficiency exams, which I have to say, uh, given my family history, was a hell of a lot harder than my bar exams to uh, go through. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody, all brethren watching you, making sure, you, you know, you don't miss a word out. Uh, they are orally delivered, the proficiency exam. So I did that for initiation, passing and racing. And I'm here. Uh, I, I was initiated, passed and raced on... September 3, October 5, and November 7 of 2003. Fantastic. This is my 19th year in the in the craft. Well, congratulations, brother. And it sounds like you're doing some epic things in the grand line out there. So, so thrilled to have uh, you in the role you are and joining us this evening. Now, I have an interesting little kind of thing that brought me to have interest in philippines masonry and that's the fact that my mother was actually born in the philippines on a military base in subic bay uh my grandfather who's also a mason was stationed there and i've heard stories of him visiting masonic lodges in the philippines but i'm not exactly sure if those were philippine lodges or military lodges or what have it um, but as we've you know examined freemasonry throughout the world on this show uh, the philippines has always been really on my forefront of the mind, just wanting to know more. So I was thrilled when I got the chance to meet you, brother, and have you on. Um, Robert, have, have you had any uh, familiarity with Freemasonry of the Philippines, or are we going in this raw? Uh, for me, uh, only uh, indirectly. I have not spent a heck of a lot of time researching it, uh, but uh, there are quite a few Filipino-American Masons here in Texas, especially out of the Eastern right? area. And uh, they tend to they tend to travel really well. They they visit Masonic events all over the state of Texas, and they do it in large groups, which uh, which is which is really fun. Anybody who's ever gone on a road trip with some brother Masons knows that uh, you're you're guaranteed good fellowship and opportunities to to study the work. So um, uh, those guys are sharp on their work, and and they're an impressive bunch of guys for the, the many different impacts they've had uh, on Masonry in Texas. Uh, so a little bit from what I've heard from them and that's about it. So I'm excited. 
fantastic. You know, uh, I, I do have, I don't know where it is or I grab it. It's somewhere. But a few years ago, I found online a bill of currency from the Philippines. It's actually got, you know, the Masonic Square and Compass and all that good stuff on it. And I was like, what? So definitely had to grab that. I've got it in my collection back there somewhere. So uh, hopefully we'll hear a little bit of that tonight. But Brother Teddy, we're going to kind of hand it over to you and let you tell us all about Philippines uh, Freemasonry. We'll jump in with some questions as they arise. I think you have some slides that we might uh, throw up here. Well, Brother Alex, before I go to the slides, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd like to highlight some of the things uh, both you and Brother Robert uh, brought up. Perfect. You know where your grandmother, grandfather was from, Subic Bay? Was, it was probably a military lodge because the first uh, American lodges here uh, were military field lodges. The first, the first lodge uh, of, uh, of uh, American Masons uh, was from the military field lodge. It was a military field lodge of the Regiment of Volunteers of South Dakota, you will see later. And okay. actually, be, uh, because they had military bases, as part of that legacy, we have two lodges here, as you will see in my narrative later, where the uh, uh, which, are, which are distinct from uh, the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. We exercise uh, exclusive jurisdiction. I guess you know that, ETJ, we got that concept from you. Exclusive territorial <laughs> jurisdiction over the entire... Uh, Philippines, with the exception of two, a European Lodge, a uh, Scottish Lodge, which I'll introduce later, and and the Prince Hall Lodge in the former military base of Clark that is uh, cool. under the jurisdiction of the Grand Lodge of Washington. And your grandfather, if uh, if correctly, he was from Subic. Uh, I, the temple, the Masonic temple that he was in uh, was turned over to the Masons and they lease it now or Legally, it's called the use of rock where they pay uh, one peso a year, I think. Uh, I'm not sure, but but it's leased to them now. And that area is where our current grandmaster is from. Most worshipful really? Roland Paulino. Big shout out to him if he's watching. He, that's where our current grandmaster is from. And it's a, there's a, you know, brethren in Zambales. That's where the province is. They, they, they're a big part of uh, our fraternity here, which leads me to Brother Robert's point. Uh, the diaspora of Filipino Masons abroad, uh, not just in the United States, but in the United Kingdom, Australia. We'll see that later. And, uh, you know, uh, Taiwan, Japan, uh, we, we cherish them a lot. And you will see that Filipinos like to travel, literally, uh, you know, uh, travelers. And it's a tradition that uh, our grandmaster always goes to, uh, to uh, visit the grand, at least the Grand Lodge of California, because that is our mother Grand Lodge every year. So we, he tends to bring a gigantic delegation because the most Filipino Masons are in California. As a matter of fact, they run, I think, several lodges there. Uh, and it's always it's always great, you know, to travel and meet with the Filipino brethren there. Our delegations can get so big that I remember when I was uh, my on my second term as a senior grand lecturer, us visiting. Our, our daughter Grand Lodge, the Grand Lodge of China in Taipei. And uh, we outnumbered the entire Filipino delegation, which was, uh, I think, 120 because it's relatively close. The 120 of us outnumbered them because they were like 40 or 50. So, so when we, uh, when we uh, came out to go to our tours so that they could go about their business, it was like the whole emptying out. So, it, you know, I mean, it's... it's uh, that's uh, something that Filipino Masons uh, cherish, that we can go out. And when we go out, we're sure to find 
uh, fellow, if not uh, American brother, a Filipino brother in almost every jurisdiction in the U.S. Uh, with that, uh, can I share my slides if uh, so we can uh, get started on the... Uh, yeah, go for it. Let you uh, with me? <laughs> okay. Put it in slide mode and you should be able to head on off. Okay, maybe I can focus on the narrative first sure. uh, by highlighting Brother Alex uh, just where we are. We are in the uh, corner of the globe where within 400 miles of the Philippines, the majority, about something like 50-55% of all people live. Uh, if you, you know, within 400 flying miles. And uh, we were founded by 100% uh, Americans in December 19, 1912. And currently, this is a bit outdated because uh, uh, I have to add in the figures. We're over 440 lodges now, uh, chartered and under dispensation. Uh, and we hit the 20,000 mark two years ago. We're growing at three to five percent every year, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, you know now run almost exclusively with uh, with the exception of certain lodges run by uh, Filipino brethren who are Americans in Guam, Northern Mariana, South Korea, and Japan, almost exclusively by Filipinos. Uh, so. That's where we are as a Grand Lodge. We're, the, we're Asia's most senior Grand Lodge, uh, as, you, as I'll highlight later. And uh, ironically, Filipinos were not part of this Lodge when it was founded. Uh, Filipinos were part of a regional Grand Lodge of uh, under the Gran Oriente uh, Español uh, at the time of the American uh, a colonialization and because of that we were not part of this lodge uh, when it was founded uh, we were part of a more activist tradition in freemasonry i think uh, maybe brother robert is into this where you know uh, which highlighted the the uh, evangelization of liberal ideals in government which is why filipinos today uh, when they enter the craft in our orientations. We highlight to them that Philip Freemasonry in this country, if you are a Freemason, that is inherently part of being Filipino. We should get you curious, Brother Alex and Brother Robert, because as you know, regular Freemasons are not supposed to talk politics and uh, religion for that matter. That's one of the eight points for us to maintain recognition and affiliation with the United Grand Lodge of England Seventh point right there. So how is it possible for us to highlight our inherent connection with the uh, our country if we go with what UGLE requires us to? Well, that's why you invited me. Uh, let me go with how Freemasons started in this country. The first lodges were regular Freemasons. They were the uh, military field lodges under the East India Company when Britain invaded and hypothetically uh, ruled the Philippines for two years from 762 to 1764. I highlight that because the rule, the colonial rule of uh, that uh, country extended only until uh, uh, extended only to the uh, capital of Manila over here. Uh, every 
everything else outside of that capital, the British, because of the limited number of regiments they brought over, they actually didn't get to occupy. But those military regiments had field lodges. And so therefore, on our histor uh, historically, factually, the first Masons in this country were not American, were not Filipino, were Brits, uh, regular uh, British Freemasons from Ireland, from the Irish, Scottish, and American constitutions. Needless to state, uh, Britain, after it made peace with uh, Spain, got to le leave the country, and Spain got the islands completely back. The one you see on the top row here is a individual, is a brother Mason known as Jose Malcampo. And he got to serve as a, you know, twice in the colony. First as a naval lieutenant with his fellow Mason, Castro uh, Mende, Segundo Maria Mendez Nunez, who unfortunately died uh, in, uh, while, while serving here in uh, the province immediately south of Manila. So when this brother, I hope you're seeing the, uh, the uh, cursor, but this brother that you see at the top row, the middle of the top row. When Brother Malcampo came back. back actually, uh, Brother Teddy, it looks like we're seeing all your slides. I'm not sure if uh, we're in presenter mode. Uh, we're still seeing the, the map. Um, we might try on the share to see if we can share maybe yeah. that window instead of the screen. Okay. You're not seeing the second... Um... You're we are seeing... now, but we're we're seeing the entire PowerPoint window with all the slides. Okay, not I'm just... going to uh, change to presenter mode. Can you see that now? We're still seeing everything. You might check at the bottom where it shows share, and then try to share that window instead of the whole screen. Okay, let me let me try this again. Uh, share. Uh, window. There you go. How is that? Uh, because I'm the whole, my whole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're we're still seeing the whole thing. Sorry, guys, watching this. This always the joy of live shows, right? <laughs> Can I? I've, I've expanded it. Now I'm seeing it. So, uh, if I I don't think. I don't think I can do full presentation mode on share screen, but uh, would this be sufficient or you yeah, want me I to increase? It just wasn't flipping slides before. So we'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye on it and I think we're good to go. Okay. Let me see if I can uh, with this. Okay. You see the slides, right? You see yep. me flipping the slides? We can. Yeah. Okay. So you saw this, right? Saw that. Highlight, one, yeah. uh, the claim that we're making and the fact that we're a regular Grand Lodge now. So now we're here. Perfect. Are we good? That'll work. I'm 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 sorry, brother Alex, but I can only see the slides. That's why I didn't I did not notice that it wasn't moving. Not but a uh, assuming that we're good now, uh, let me go back to uh, brother Malcampo here. So when he came back as governor general, the first one of the first thing he did was to charter. Uh, create a new municipality in that southern province immediately south of Manila and named it after his brother who died here, uh, Brother Mendez Nunez. And that is the first municipality 
uh, in our country named after a Mason, <laughs> a Spanish Mason. Now here's the thing about Brother Malcampo. He is he was a died he was a hardcore conservative. And therefore as a somebody who was a conservative, he was instrumental in founding a Continental Lodge here exclusively for Spanish brethren. Uh, that lodge is known as the Primera Luz Filipina and he founded it in uh, 1856. Uh, together with uh, Castro Mendes Nunez under the Grand o Oriente Lus Lusitano Portugal. I highlight that because the first local Filipino, they finally admitted a Filipino, and he is uh, shown in the middle part of this uh, row, the, the bottom row. He is uh, Jacobo Zobel. And I highlight that they finally let him in only because he belonged to one of the richest clans uh, in the then colony, and there, and there, which continues to today. They're a very prominent commercial clan, and we have a temple named for, uh, for, for him in our uh, the commercial center of our capital, Makati City, in Metro Manila. So he's a, he's he's the first Filipino they let in, and uh, they clearly let him in because he was part of their circle. They had they had accepted him. But frankly, uh, the clique, the ruling clique, as exemplified by Brother Malcampo, they, uh, they discouraged any Filipinos from, from uh, having any interest in the craft, at least the continental version. This was until Malcampo's successor, Jose, I'm sorry, Emilio Terrero came to become governor general and allowed... Filipinos to go abroad and join uh, Masonic lodges there in Spain uh, while they were studying. Previous to Emilio Terrero, there was a policy of discouraging locals, uh, the locals here, from going to Spain and getting educated. And the locals there, uh, once they joined these continental lodges, we, uh, they included this uh, uh, brother, uh, brother, worshipful brother Jose Rizal, who is our national hero. And this brother, uh, actually, you have his postage stamp on one side and his uh, formal portrait on the other. Marcelo del Pilar, who we highlight is the father of Filipino Freemasonry. Uh, brethren like uh, brother Marcelo and brother Jose, they joined Spanish lodges, and these these are not uh, regular uh, Masonic lodges. These are continental Masonic lodges where you can discuss uh, politics in the lodge, where which espoused liberal ideals of uh, governance, uh, and these brethren ended up bringing bringing the those ideals back here to the Philippines, uh, starting from there. Uh, how did they? How did they ended up bringing bringing those ideals here? They ended up founding their own lodges of Filipinos. You know, Filipinos. They're sort of like Englishmen. Englishmen. They like to form clubs. Filipinos. They like to do that in a different way. If you have uh, three Englishmen who join in together, 
You can bet that uh, where you have three Englishmen, they have you will have an English club. Filipinos, uh, because they like to socialize. If there are three Filipinos in, you know, one uh, abroad, let's say in San Francisco, you can bet there will be three Filipino clubs, so they can all be presidents. That's how. Uh, <laughs> that's how social we are. That's how we're different. <laughs> so, so Filipinos ended up. Uh, you know, um, forming a lodge. Inevitably, once you get a Filipino in, you can bet that there's going to be a lodge. They formed the Solidaridad Lodge in March 30, 1886. Unfortunately, because many of them were traveling, it died out under that jurisdiction, Gran Oriente de Español. So it had a second life under the Gran Oriente Español uh, uh, beginning the May 15, 1890. And what they did was, as they discussed these liberal ideals of governance that included freedom of speech, separation of church and state, okay, uh, freedom of religion, they got together and, you know, uh, outside of the lodge, formed the movement. Uh, and this equilateral triangle highlights what that movement was about. They had the public uh, association where the lodge and the public association did strategy to push reforms in the Philippines, primarily first with education. The lodge had the fortnightly newspaper called La Solaridad. And together, the public association and the La Solaridad were the public front. Uh, that's one reason why some people say we're a secret society. When secrecy, as you know, in Masonic uh, tradition, it's really privacy, right? But but here, obviously, because the lodge could not, you know, it was better to have a or association which could also admit non-Masons. The propaganda campaign for reforms was really pushed by the public association and the newspaper. And inevitably, uh, it came here. That's why we call uh, Brother Marcelo Del Pilar the father of Filipino Freemasonry because he was the one that brought Freemasons to the Philippines and with Jose Serrano Lactao founded the first uh, Filipino Lodge here in our country. Uh, that is Nilad Lodge, uh, founded in 1891, chartered by the Gran Oriente Español in 1892. Uh, and it was the first lodge here, needless to state, the reforms that they were pushing uh, did not fall on... Uh, sympathetic ears when you talk about uh, you know conservatives like uh, even fellow brethren like Jose Malcampo. So the, Sp the Spanish took a very hard line on this. And because of that, our national hero, Serizal, who was, you know, he, 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 he was the one who, uh, he's our national hero because a lot of uh, most writings on our national identity and our, and our concept of nationalism come from him. When he came home, the Spanish got him and they made him a martyr. Of course, by that time, the Masonic lodges were spreading here in our country and uh, to be more activist and to admit non-Masons more, they in turn spawned a related movement which we call the Katipunan, which is Filipino for brotherhood or Tagalog, the local dialect here in the uh, national capital area. It is Tagalog for brotherhood. Uh, what you see here, 
aside from the soldiers and this uh, who, uh, person who was our second vice president, every every everyone you see here is a Freemason. So that's how popular the movement became. They're, I guess you know they're all prominent nationalist leaders. That's why that's why they're in that uh, they're in that uh, graphic. And when Jose Rizal died, that sparked the revolution. This man here, the one I'm pointing to next to to the left of the of uh, the Rizal monument, which is the center of our uh, of, of, of in the center of the screen. This man is uh, Emilio Aguinaldo, worshipful brother Emilio Aguinaldo, and he was the first president of our country. And he rightly highlights that the successful revolution of 1896 was masonically inspired by brethren like Jose Rizal, masonically led by Marcelo del Pilar, Mabini, uh, the one on the extreme right, who is our first prime minister. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, he, the other members here are also nationalist leaders and masonically executed. Most of the leaders of Aguinaldo's government and military were Masons. That is why you see our national flag here. We are one of the few countries, maybe very few countries, where the equilateral triangle of continental Masonry was purposely put there to highlight the foundation, that the foundation of our country is masonically rooted. Uh, that, that equilateral triangle is, was placed there precisely to highlight the Masonic roots of our country. And we were winning. The, uh, Sp the Spanish had, no there was never a time when the Spanish had more than 25,000 troops in this country. And at that time, the Filipino, the entire population of the colony was in the region of, there were no formal censuses, three to four million. So on the force of sheer numbers, we were like, you know, the, the Spanish were like uh, in, uh, in the fortified, the fortified capital and uh, fortified regional capitals. And we pretty much had the run of the place until you guys showed up because of the Spanish-American <laughs> war and ruined everything uh, in the sense that, you know, uh, Spanish-American war happened. You had uh, Commodore Dewey sail all the way from Hong Kong and sink the entire Spanish uh, armada. Great name for a nine-ship fleet that was pretty obsolete. Uh, they didn't even come to, uh, you know, fight him in Manila Bay. They, it was a lopsided battle where the Americans literally sailed into Manila Bay, uh, jeweled it out with the Spanish who were anchored, uh, and Dewey got a report that somebody died of heat stroke. In the middle of the battle. So he decided to stop, you know, stop the battle, go, you know, go a bit north within the bay and uh, check his ammunition and have breakfast. One of the most civil battles I could figure out. And after having breakfast, they came back, by which time many of the, uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, uh, humane of him, many of the Spanish uh, had already left the, the fleet and proceeded to sink those ships. Dewey did not have uh, an occupying force. So we had this stalemate where the Filipinos believed the Americans were coming in to grant them their independence. And the Americans 
were there to get, you know, to get the colony and we were purchased in the Treaty of Paris along with Puerto Rico and other uh, possessions uh, uh, from that uh, war and we became an American colony. Needless to state, that led when the Filipinos found out that about the intentions of, uh, of uh, the Americans then, that led to the Filipino-American War. And the Filipino-American War uh, ended with a convincingly convinced was convincingly resolved in the favor of the United States, primarily because of two two reasons. One, we were not Vietnam. Our military commanders were educated in Europe and educated to fight set piece, set piece battles. So you can imagine the Americans coming in with much more arms against the Filipinos coming in in military formation with not that much arms. And you can see who would win based on when, when uh, the shooting started, right? Uh, but secondly, we also uh, lost because, you know, uh, partisan infighting, uh, which was a real lesson about how you should run a country uh, at that time. You know, you can't run a country divided. Uh, we, we had, uh, you know, we, we still could not get over our regional blocks. And so the era or we had our third uh, colonial master came about. We had 300 years of uh, being in a Spanish monastery, uh, two years uh, where hypothetically uh, we have a British occupation that allows us in turn hypothetically to join the Commonwealth when we eventually want, if we eventually want to. And uh, we have 50 years of Hollywood uh, because uh, the America, you, you guys came in and uh, it was not off to a, uh, let me say that it was not off to a, uh, to a great start. Uh, not, not on the colonial or the, um, or the uh, Masonic level. On the colonial level, you had American administrators, one of whom was your former president, and I understand a fellow Mason, William Howard Taft. Another was the father of General Douglas MacArthur. They came in and basically, uh, with the notion that this uh, colony should be civilized uh, and made ready for, uh, for uh, civilized government, uh, that's the uh, that, that's the that's the the political side. On the Masonic side, as you know, in continental Freemasonry, as you may know, there is no such concept as exclusive territorial jurisdiction. And here, because it was all formerly continental lodges, when the Americans came, and they had this concept of ETJ, hey, open territory for them. The first, as I highlighted earlier, the first lodges. Uh, we're traveling lodges uh, attached to American military units. Uh, the first one was from the Regiment of Volunteers of North Dakota. But those, like the British, those left uh, as people get transferred abroad or back to the United States. Inevitably, you had the Filipinos organized under continental Masonic lodges, which remained even when Spain left. This is the seal of the first lodge, Nilad Lodge number 12 now in our roles uh, with the, uh, in the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. But those are Filipinos. And here's the thing. I am saying this as a historical fact, 
I'm not saying it to make light of it or to uh, make a statement. It is just historical fact. Uh, frankly, there was a lot of uh, racism and prejudice present in those days. And that led to Americans refusing to join Filipino lodges and Filipinos not being invited to the lodges that Americans were being set up. At the bottom of the screen, Brother Alex, can you see me moving the screen? Yeah. Okay. So um, tell me if at any reason, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you when I shift uh, slides, but you can tell me if, you know, if uh, it's not moving. At Definitely. the bottom of the screen where my cursor is, I hope you can see the cursor, the middle part, is the is an actual uh, uh, club uh, entrance in Manila, a social club entrance. And uh, the middle part there, uh, there's a sign. You can't, I don't think you can read it, but that sign in English says, no dogs or Filipinos allowed. It's a, it was an American club. And wow. uh, they, they preferred, as you can see, they highlighted dogs first before Filipinos. There was significant, there, uh, I'm not going to brush aside that fact. There was significant uh, prejudice and racism. And the Filipinos felt this. That's why uh, they were never invited initially to these lodges that were being set up first by the Grand Lodge of California. Uh Manila 342, Cavite 350, and Corredor 386. Starting in 1901, the Grand Lodge of California, uh, they uh, chartered these three lodges. Manila 342, starting with Manila 342 in 1901. This is the current seal of that same lodge, now chartered on, in our roles as Manila, Mount Lebanon, because of a merger, number one in our rules. And at that time, these were all 100% American. So much so that the Europeans here, there was a lot of trade in that time. The Philippines has always been a crossroads for trade. The Europeans did not like, uh, and they're primarily being businessmen, always looking out for, you know, a trade link or uh, to network. They didn't like this, uh, you know, separation or segregation. So they ended up forming their own lodges. This is the seal of the Grand Lodge of Scotland. And the Grand Lodge of Scotland here formed two lodges. Uh, Perla del Oriente, 1034 in 1907, and Cebu Lodge, which, and they had a lodge in the center of the country, which unfortunately uh, died out uh, in, uh, around nine, in the 1920s. Uh, so that was the state of affairs. And the Filipinos, when they realized that the Americans were coming in. They petitioned their uh, sovereign body, the Gran Oriente Español, to form a regional Grand Lodge, uh, which became the uh, Grand Lodge Regional de Filipinas of the Gran Oriente Español in 1906. I'll switch now, Brother Alex. You can see the new slide. Uh, we're still on the one with the logos currently. Can you see the new there slide? There we go. Now we see okay. it. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll drop presentation mode so you can, so so the slides can be uh, seen. So that was the situation in the second decade of the last century. You had all the Americans in their three lodges, you know, all to themselves. Uh, they had some Europeans, but most Europeans, particularly the Englishmen and some Germans, I understand, uh, 
they preferred the Scottish Lodge. And necessarily, when word got around that you had all of these jurisdictions in Metro Manila and, uh, you know, Cebu, uh, the word got around that, you know, they're, they're competing as to who is in social, you know, masonry was a big thing then socially. In, in social life, who should be recognized as the uh, quote-unquote legitimate, uh, legitimate brethren. So when the Americans found out that, uh, you know, the regional Grand Lodge was getting more and more of the local elite, uh, on, in December of 1912, they formed the Grand Lodge of the Philippine Islands, which today is the Grand Lodge of the Philippines. Okay. And their, the formation was uh, Manila 342, Cavite 350, Corredor 386, and uh, other American lodges. They, they joined together 100%. Uh, Grand Lodge, 100%, no Filipino, purely American brethren. They formed that, you know, so that they can say, you, you don't bother with that regional Grand Lodge. We're, we're uh, you know, for everyone visiting our the, the colony, we are the legitimate Masons. Hmm. And that naturally sparked a, uh, you know, a series of, you know, kilometric uh, or mile-long correspondence between those in the continental side of Freemasonry and those in the regular side of Freemasonry. You can... You can see that actually the uh, regular Masons across the world wanted to support uh, the regular Masons in the colony. That's why, starting with the Grand Lodge of the District of Colombia, uh, which recognized the Grand Lodge of the Philippine Islands in 1915, you had the Grand Lodge of California, and eventually even the United Grand Lodge of uh, England in, uh, I understand, 1916. So... You had the Americans to one side, the Filipinos to one side, and the Europeans here, the Americans asked them, would you like to join us? And given the social tension then, the Europeans said, no, 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 we're going to keep we're gonna keep our lodge. And that's why they're an exception to the rule. Uh, subsequently, in the 1960s, 1970s, I'm not sure, but during that period, on the American base, a Prince Hall Lodge, I think two, uh, but there's only one, presently active. A Prince Hall Lodge of the Grand Lodge of Washington was subsequently formed uh, in the American base and it exists to this day. We recognize it because at that time it was formed in, in on the American base. But let me go back to the narrative and which is a reason for why we have this, sto this, this story I'm telling you now. You had that tension in the second decade of, that, of last century between essentially the local elite which included my great-grandfather uh, here. Uh, the one in the postage stamp is Chodoro M. Kalau. And to his uh, side, the current, the, the, uh, not the current, the then Senate President, Manuel Quezon, who was also a prominent Mason. And that, would have, that, that should have been, uh, you know, that should have been uh, the case given, given the climate of prejudice and uh, racism then with the exception of two significant breakthroughs. The first was the fact that uh, my great-grandfather, as a newspaper editor, ended up getting sued for libel by the then 
effectively the deputy governor general, uh, but we called him the uh, Secretary of Interior, Dean Worcester, one of the Americans known to be really racist. He was sued for libel for he so he sued uh, my great grandfather supposedly because you know he was not engaged in activities that were being reported in the new in my great grandfather's newspaper El Ren Renacimiento, which is Spanish for the Renaissance. What were these activities? Just to give an example, getting uh, Igorot skulls so that they can be displayed uh, in uh, academic uh, exhibitions in the U.S. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Needless to state, Dean Worcester won. And my great-grandfather was convicted of libel, brought the appeal uh, all the way up, U.S. versus Ocampo, brought the appeal all the way up to the United States Supreme Court and promptly wow. lost, promptly lost. Which, which actually was a good thing because that led eventually in the 1920s for the local uh, legislature, now Filipinos, to pass laws uh, which make us one of the freest uh, in terms of uh, free press here in the region. But going back to my great-grandfather, I ended up uh, potentially in my, uh, in my uh, family with uh, being uh, descended from a convict, convicted felon, <laughs> felon uh, but for, but for the action of one American brother. His name, he was a Democrat. His name was Francis Burton Harrison. He was the governor general at that time in 1914. And brother, and Francis Burton Harrison, Harrison you know, ended up liking the country so much. He is the only... American Governor General. And we had several. You know, we had Taft, we had uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. before he became a general in World War II, you know, and had the heart attack and passed away. But we had Theodore Roosevelt Jr. And, you know, we had so many Governor Generals. But Francis Burton Harrison has the distinction of being the only former Governor General to be uh, given full Philippine dual citizenship. And he... And he is buried here in our Manila North Cemetery because he truly, his term was truly pro-Filipino. And he saw, you know, he, he saw the clear unpopularity of the decision. So unpopular, it got my grandfather elected to office uh, in, the, in the local assembly. Okay? It got unpopular. And, and uh, you know, needless to state, that made Dean Worcester really unpopular. And uh, what he did, Francis, Governor General Francis Burton Harrison, what he did was, he pardoned without even, you know, negotiating or without even giving advance notice. He pardoned my great-grandfather, the editors, and everybody else who was convicted. And now this came as a shock to the Filipinos. Like, what's this American doing pardoning our brother? They knew he was a Mason, but because they belonged to different cons constitutions, different Masonic traditions, it came as a shock to them that that happened. One. Second, the patron of the Filipinos, Miguel Moraita. In 1917, January, passed away. So, Filipinos now felt, look, we can't keep this, you know, uh, war going on. So let's reach out to them and see, you know, if they are amenable to us, you know, uh, fusing or merging our allegiances here in the country. And lo and behold, on his part, Francis Burton Harrison 
he started, he initiated the trend that, look, guys, uh, look, brethren, you know, maybe we should start talking to them. So that in the annual communication uh, of 1917, February 14, uh, just a month after the last major link to Spain of the Filipinos, Miguel Moraita, Grandmaster Miguel Moraita had passed away, you had 26 uh, lodges, Filipino lodges, surrender their charters with the Gran Oriente Español and uh, go to the Grand Lodge of the Philippine Islands uh, annual communication and petition for affiliation. And that is why Nilad Lodge number 12 is, uh, is, uh, uh, is uh, 12th on the roll. Because at that time, there were already 11 lodges chartered by the Grand Lodge of California and they were all American lodges. So all of these lodges were, uh, were accepted on that day. You know, uh, they were given charters, uh, starting with Nilad Lodge number 12, all the way to Bulusan Lodge number 38, which is a lodge. I hope you can see the map. Yes. In the Bicol region here. The national capital region here, Bulusan number 38 is here in the Bicol region. So all of those lodges, they came to Manila. And they sur uh, having surrendered their charters, they were duly admitted to the, uh, to the Grand Lodge of the Philippine Islands. That meant that their ritual, their continental Masonic lit ritual passed into history. We would end up using the the then version of the Preston Web ritual, uh, the then version. I understand we've since diverged. Up to now, we've used, we're using the that version of the, the Preston Web ritual from the Grand Lodge of California. And needless to state, you know, effectively the regional Grand Lodge had to dissolve. And part of the deal was my great-grandfather stepping down uh, in 1922, they made him the, the only time where they made a, a brother, an honorary grandmaster, because a Filipino brother could not move up to the Grand Oriental Chair in 1928. From the floor, he was elected a, you know, a full grandmaster. But at that time in 1917, part of the deal was he was not going to be an officer to, to facilitate, because there were two grandmasters, to facilitate the union. So... Did the Filipinos lose? Yeah, you could say that. Because they, 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 ended up, they ended up being the ones surrendering their Masonic identity to merge, you know, in a merger legally, merger, there is a surviving entity. The surviving entity is a Grand Lodge of the Philippines. You could say the Filipinos lost. But here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing with regards to this merger. The American brethren then, at that time, fully understood. They knew this was going to happen. They fully understood that if they let all of these Filipinos in, large numbers 12 to 38, the Filipinos would have an overwhelming majority of the Grand Lodge. Mm. Take note. No dogs or Filipinos allowed. That's the culture then. Right. But they let the let, they let the Filipinos in. This was in 1917. Why did they do that? Well, you know, first 
uh, there were two major reasons. One was in the course of the first two decades, like Francis Burton Harrison here, you know, it's very easy to have preconceived notions of somebody you don't know. But as Americans come here, great tropical paradise, get to live life here, live life easy. You know, they get to know these Filipinos who are members of the local elite like them. They get to realize, hey, you know what? We're not really different. This this guy could be my brother. So so that, you know, over two decades, you had that growing sense of, uh, of uh, affiliation that facilitated this fusion and 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 the americans also uh secondly had a strategic perspective they realized even then that this was not going to be uh you know they were not making the philippines go on a path to statehood the the racist notion of coming in really was so that we could civilize these savages under a uh, our notion of manifest destiny. And then they realize, well, these guys aren't that savage after all, right? So they realize, look, you know, if we want to go down and tell my grandson who's joining, who might join the craft, uh, my legacy, I'd like to make sure that that legacy is made more permanent. And the only way they realized they could do that was to bring in the ones who are living in the locality who would sustain the Grand Lodge. That's why, despite racism, despite prejudices, the merger or the fusion, what we call the fusion of 1917 happened, and we got to celebrate our centennial as a Grand Lodge in 1912, founded exclusively by American brethren, but now almost governed exclusively by Filipinos. Were there some exceptions to the to the uh, to, to this? Yes, the Scottish Lodge remained, and then in the 1960s or 70s, we had the Prince Hall Grand Lodge. Uh, we recognized them in the 1990s, in line with you know, with uh, the trend to recognize them uh, in your country. There were also attempts to revive the regional Grand Lodge by Filipinos who you know. Uh, you had quarrels, but over time, despite these attempts, despite occasional schisms, we are today still, and perpetually probably because of the concept of exclusive territorial jurisdiction, the one and only regular Grand Lodge for our constitution. Uh, so you can see, uh, I'm sorry, uh, you can see that, you know, that significantly enhanced the credibility of the Grand Lodge. and But one thing that uh, really made the fusion real stemmed from the fact that the Americans, knowing, knowing that the Filipinos would take over, were very happy to have Manuel Quezon, and he subsequently became the first Grand Master who was Filipino, uh, be elected, the, that him, him as a Senate president, be elected as the Grand Master. But here's the thing. That didn't happen. When the votes were in for all these 38 lodges and they all were counted, the, the Americans, of course, all 11 lodges, the former, uh, the exclusively American lodges, they voted for the incumbent, William Taylor. <laughs> but the thing is, when you counted everybody else and it, 
and it's everybody else because it was unanimous. They counted all the votes and there was only a vote for one brother and that was William Taylor. So William Taylor now is shocked because it's unusual to, you know, to be elected to a second term. So he goes, you know, he goes to his uh, his deputy, uh, John Wallace, and he asks, uh, right, worshipful sir, what am I going to do here? I mean, I was expecting to step down. And John Wallace tells him, well, most worshipful sir, if it is the will of the brethren, I think we have a new tradition. And that is why in our this is the main hall of Plaridel Masonic Temple. Plaridel is a pen name of our the Father Free, Filipino Freemasonry, Masero del Pilar. This is the main hall of Plaridel Masonic Temple in Manila, which is the headquarters, the seat of uh, of the Philippine Constitution here in our country. That is why, uh, if you see, we have a picture of grandmasters from 1912 going forward from 1917. You see this line of uh, where I'm pointing to? Those are pictures of grandmasters. From 1917, with the exception of when we went dark during World War II, from 1917 all the way up to the time when my grandfather uh, became a grandmaster in 1974, that long period, we had an unbroken succession of... Uh, uh, those sitting in the Oriental chair being American, one year, the next year Filipino, American the next year, the next year Filipino. That's why my grand great grandfather wow. Chudorem Kalo in 1928, because of the Filipino deputy grandmaster could not move up, uh, and the senior grand warden who was an American. This is not in writing, by the way. This is just an understanding. Sure. The senior grand warden who was an American did not want to move up. They asked, well, we'll elect from the floor. So they elected their only honorary grandmaster to be grandmaster, who was Chidore Mkala. And the last, the deputy grandmaster then was uh, of uh, John William Taylor, was John Wallace. The last American grandmaster in the 1970s was also Wallace. Uh, and the only reason why the tradition stopped was, frankly, we simply ran out of worthy and well-qualified brethren who were American citizens to be grandmaster. We, we ran out <laughs> of, uh, of members, you know, moving up, right? So, so that tradition uh, ended in 1975 because we, you know, we simply ran out of uh, Americans to, to move up to the Oriental chair. And need to stay. Well, I'm available. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh uh, if, uh, you know, I'm not saying we can't restart the tradition, but that will require, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so so that's where we were over time. And uh, being the most senior Grand Lodge in Asia, naturally, especially in the Philippines, it became the fraternity to join. We have only two Masons on site. As you know, uh, Maki recognizes uh, in his landmarks. I don't, I understand not, all jurisdictions, you know, recognize all 25. But one of those landmarks is the uh, privilege of a grandmaster to make a masons on site. We practice that here because we've adopted Maki's landmarks. We only have two masons on site. Uh, the first one was Deputy Governor Eugene Gilmore, uh, who we made the master uh, mason, a mason on site at the annual communication of 1930. 
Uh, he became a very active member of Bagumbayan, number four. And the other, the second one in 1935, Samuel Hawthorne, most worshipable Samuel Hawthorne, made uh, then field marshal. Take note, uh, if you, I don't know if you're that into uh, the history of World War II, but there was a time when General Douglas MacArthur res, uh, retired from the United States Army and was inducted as the five-star field marshal of the then uh, infant Philippine Army. Okay, <laughs> so here with us is a Filipino field marshal over with you guys. Well, actually, he was five stars also, but that was after uh, during World War II. Anyway, Douglas MacArthur in 1935 was made a Mason on site. So you can say that while he is an American general, he is a 100% Filipino Mason. And uh, cool. because of this popularity over time, we ended up, you know, uh, bringing this concept of Freemasonry to China. Of course, you know, uh, there are regional uh, districts of uh, in the English, Irish, and Scottish constitutions in the region. But what makes us unique is that our lodges in China and Japan ended up in 1949. Uh, our lodge in China, our, our lodges in China, the nine lodges then became the Grand Lodge of China. That's why they're one of our favorite. Uh, well, we only have two, and I can't on this broadcast say that which is the favorite. They're both. We all love them in our unique way. Okay, so the uh, Grand Lodge of China uh, was founded in 1949. They're our daughter Grand Lodge. Similarly. Uh, Filipino lodges together with some American and some of uh, lodges in, uh, in uh, I think, an English or Scottish lodge joined together to form the Grand Lodge of Japan uh, with the exception of two, two Filipino lodges and a lodge from another of my constitutions, the, um, the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. We have a lodge there. I'm speaking as a Massachusetts Mason. We have a lodge in Japan. They refused to join. One of the Filipino lodges died. But we still have lodges today in uh, Japan and Okinawa, which were then known as the Ryukyu Islands. Okay, And uh, we have a lodge in North Korea. And we continue to exercise exclusive, uh, exclusive territorial jurisdiction of the craft in Guam, where America's Day begins. And we have three lodges there including our lodge, which was originally chartered for the Marshall Islands, but which, you know, moved, uh, moved to Guam and uh, North the Northern Marianas Islands. And during uh, the Vietnam War, we even chartered a lodge in Saigon, uh, Saigon Lodge Number 188, which is now Ho Chi Minh City. In 1974, the brethren, because of the civil war there and the impending takeover of the communists, asked for a dispensation from my grandfather, Teodoro Calo Jr., to move to Manila, uh, you know, where they ended up being stationed because there were still American facilities here. So my, so my uh, grandfather granted them a dispensation, even though the charter today is still for Saigon. That's why we still claim, because there are no... Uh, there are no uh, regular lodges there. We still claim exclusive territorial jurisdiction over that territory. We learn a few tricks from you. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that's, uh, we still claim uh, that territory, Vietnam, uh, through Saigon 188, the charter of which is still, uh, you know, for, uh, for Saigon, for Ho Chi Minh, 
even though they have a quote-unquote temporary dispensation to hit to meet here in Manila. Uh, and over time, we, um, you know, uh, like I highlight, we're the senior uh, Masonic constitution here in Asia, more senior than the Grand Lodge of India, which was founded in 1961, the Grand Lodge of Israel in 1953, and just recently the Grand Lodge of Kazakhstan in 2016. Uh, and that's something that, uh, you know, we enjoy... We enjoy highlighting. Um, when you speak of the Philippine Constitution, you, you don't just talk of the Philippine Islands, uh, but we uh, highlight, you know, uh, jurisdiction. Uh, at least today, we, we have a. We understand there are several lodges in South Korea, but uh, we we still have a lodge there also. We have uh, jurisdiction over South Korea, the Marianas Islands, the Marshall Islands. We have a lodge chartered for the Marshall Islands. Uh, but uh, which is currently has a dispensation to meet in Guam, uh, the Ryukyu Islands, which is Okinawa, and Vietnam, and our two lodges in Japan. I was highlighting earlier to Brother Robert that in addition to this, we particularly enjoy relating with the Filipino Masonic diaspora abroad. There are many Filipino lodges abroad in your country. You have New York and the District of Columbia. In Canada, we have Manitoba, who uh, that constitution, uh, I understand, welcomed the Filipino Grand Master recently. And in New South Wales, in Australia, we have a Filipino, they're under the constitution of New South Wales, but they are uh, composed of Filipinos. So, Serisal, number 1045. Uh, just recently, what made this unique uh, was. We we did a very we had entered into a very unique relationship with Plaridel Lodge with with the Grand Lodge of Victoria, which chartered Plaridel Lodge uh, two years back when I was still in my second term as uh, senior grand lecturer. With this uh, with this unique feature, uh, as you know, Victoria uh, does not is not a ex, uh, have a uniform it's not a jurisdiction that has a uniform ritual. But what makes this uh, unique is that for a non-uniform ritual jurisdiction, this was the first time where they allowed a constitution which has a uniform ritual to practice its ritual in their constitution. So Plaridel Lodge number 10, number 1893 is a Victorian lodge composed of uh, brethren who are Filipinos. And they are allowed to do the only uh, lodge outside Philippine constitution. They're the only lodge in uh, the world who is allowed to use our GLP ritual. Of course, uh, if you ask brethren from Japan and China, they actually use our ritual also because that's what we handed down to them. But this is where, but our GLP ritual as amended in the 1990s, Plaridel Lodge now uses that. How we, uh, you might ask, so how do you end up teaching these guys? Because they're inspectors there, they're lecturers. You know, they know other ritual, but certainly not GLP ritual. Well, the Memorandum of Understanding allows us to uh, bring bring uh, grand lecturers there to teach so that they can be proficient in the ritual uh, on a regular basis, like, you know, uh, annually or every two years. So to wrap up, Brother Albert and Brother Alex, thank you for having me today. Uh, what, uh, what, 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 can we uh, take out 
of this story of the craft in my country? Well, three major things. As I highlighted in the title of my presentation, the fusion of 1917 is a genuine expression of brotherly love and the triumph of our craft over racism and prejudice. Uh, I don't know of uh, I, I I'm at a loss to find comparable uh, events in uh, global Masonic history that that could lead to something like that. I'm sure there are, but uh, it's a prime example of uh, of uh, brotherly love and uh, how it triumphs over preconceived notions of who we are or who we should be, and uh, addresses. Uh, and resolves racism and prejudice. Second of three things, uh, I, I'm glad that Freemasonry came to our country because we are a united country today because of it. Um, one of the reasons, one of the one of the reasons why Filipino Freemasons were so adamant in getting reforms pushed was because at that time uh, we had we had the uh, concept where the church was fused or united or merged with the state, which is the main reason why there are some in the Catholic religion who oppose Freemasonry, not because of you know dogmatic reasons, because we're not a religion, but because of those outdated notions uh, that uh, you know that uh, if you're Catholic, you you should support a merged state and church, which was the case in our colony. Uh, so much so that you know the bread, the the Filipinos, even at that time when we were drafting our first constitution, actually provided in the initial draft that Roman Catholicism, which was the majority of uh, because of the fusion of church and state, Roman Catholicism would be the official church religion. Brother Tomas del Rosario got brethren together and said, "We should oppose this. We should put that freedom of religion and." Clause in, it won. It won by one vote. Oh, wow. Because of that. Seriously, it won by one vote. And because of that, needless to state, you can imagine the problems that would create, you know, Filipino Independent Church, uh, which uh, Iglesia Ni Cristo, that's another local church, our Muslim brethren, our Protestant brethren, they, you know, the Filipinos who have a different faith, would, would it would be a problem. And mm. it might have split up the country. That one vote, that winning one vote, Brother Tomas de Rosario's vote, of course, he, he was supported by brethren. We are a united country because of it. Uh, another of our grandmasters, a second grand, Philipp, grandmaster was Filipino, Rafael Palma, prominent educator, uh, did the work in the 1950s on the life of Rizal, highlighting the historical facts. The church then did not like the fact that it was being criticized, not, not the religion, but the church as an institution. They sought to ban it. Okay, the Grand Lodge came out and said, you can't do that. That's freedom of speech. And it became a textbook because of the Grand Lodge. Final, final thing, final uh, of three uh, that I think what, the reason why, you know, the craft is, we are, my, my country is so blessed to have the craft here. Really, when you get to it, as I highlighted, um, the roots of our national identity are founded on uh, continental Freemasonry as practiced then by Filipino brethren. Uh, and they did this in three ways. When the Spanish governor general, who was also a brother, Emilio Terrero, allowed 
Filipinos to start getting educated abroad, not just in in Spain but also in France and other countries of Europe, and they joined Continental Masonic Lodge. Yes, that served as a foundation. I highlighted earlier the equilateral triangle, the campaign, the lodge, the public association, and the newspaper. That served as a foundation for the subsequent unified campaign for reforms. What were the reforms that these brethren were pushing and that they were talking about in their lodges? Well, we're talking about the liberal ideals of public governance, which the church then, then, the Roman Catholic Church then, was supposed to. What were these liberal ideals? The governance of the people through elected representatives. The separation of church and state. Enforcement of fundamental personal freedoms like religion, speech, press, and assembly. The regulation of basic education by the state and not by religious orders. And you're going to recognize this. Equality and fraternity of mankind under law. Finally, it's not just these reforms uh, that these brethren were pushing. In those lodges, those continental lodges, our brethren started to realize, you know, I'm not just Marcelo Del Pilar Bulakenyo or Jose Rizal from Morong or me. Eddie Kalao from the great province of Batangas. Yeah, we all have our provincial, regional identities. But you know, maybe we can dream about being together and being Filipino. That's why here in my country, we say Freemasonry is being Filipino because while like you, we have the uniform and outlook of regular Freemasonry, our Grand Lodge highlights that we have a cultural soul and heritage that actually belongs to Philippine Freemasonry. That is the story of the craft in my country, and I hope you enjoyed it. That's beautiful, brother. Fantastic. Maybe you can start the school now. There you go. There was some heavy stuff there. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm still... Like I said, you know, yeah. uh, every time no. I do this, uh, especially for... You know what? I actually uh, did a version of this in... Uh, 2012, when we had the Masonic Conference in uh, the George Washington National, uh, National Memorial, just uh, immediately uh, uh, near uh, Washington, D.C. So yeah. I, I did it, uh, I presented it there, but I also presented it to the families of the brethren of Manila Lodge. And the ones who enjoyed it were actually not just the Masons, but their wives. And like, you know what? If I knew this all along, I'd allow you to, you know, join your meetings more. Right. Man, so, so thinking back, I, I'm still getting caught up on the point of prejudice, like seeing that sign on the door. Holy cow. And then but you, you know, know what? Yeah. I understand. A brother, you know, brother Alex, I understand that you're a bit shocked by that. But you know what? I think what we, what's more important is that we got through that. Yeah, no, definitely. To see, yeah, to see the growth and for it to become, you know, to the point that it is today is phenomenal. Isn't you know, it's an entire history of its own <laughs> that deserves yeah. to be, you know, respected. I, I would have been surprised if there wasn't things like that in the 19 teens. We're talking about uh, the arrival of nationalism in, in the bad sense of the word. Uh, we're talking about uh, right after the Spanish-American War when uh, Americans were very racist towards people of any kind of Spanish descent or Spanish-speaking languages. Spanish was banned from high schools all in this area, I know. 
uh, and signs like that one on that social club, no dogs and, and no Filipinos. There were signs that said no dogs and no black people here in the American South right into the 1960s, uh, yeah. 50 years later. So uh, it's sad uh, and it's and it's and it's remarkable and inspiring uh, the way you laid it out that that Freemasonry uh, provided a platform upon which Filipinos and Americans were able to rise above uh, the unfortunate social norms of the day. Uh, but they certainly were social norms there and abroad. Let's see. We we do have some uh, comments coming through on the social media platforms that I definitely want to highlight here. Um, first of them just came through. Uh, Brother Suhel just asked. Let me throw it up here. Uh, can you tell us about Lapu Lapu? Yeah, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. I apologize. Don't worry. Um, uh, the um, that that is a Cebuano name. It's uh, it's actually pronounced Lapu Lapu, okay. and. Uh, when Magellan came over here, you know, I mean, there are some historians who I like that Magellan discovered the country. We don't see it that way. I mean, the guys that that Portuguese, you know, you know, he circumnavigated. He was trying to circumnavigate the world, hit the Philippines, and uh, he was trying to colonize it. But uh, he succeeded with one chief. But Lapu Lapu said, "No, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna bow fealty to your king, the Spanish. He's a Portuguese who was working for the Spanish king then." And so Magellan said, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. And uh, if you go to, you know, it's a very beautiful city. If you go to the island, Mactan, which is right next to it, you can see, you can see that, you know, how, how the battle would have unfolded because there's a very long beach where the Lapu-Lapu monument is. And you can see how Magellan with about uh, 40 to 50 of his men coming in and Lapu-Lapu staring at him and say, okay, let's nail him. Uh, in in their ver in their vernacular at that time, coming in with about uh, several hundred warriors, Magellan realized that oh, uh, this is more than I. And so they tried to come go back to the boats, but Magellan, being relatively old and all of that armor, he got left behind and he got killed. That's why he didn't complete his circumnavigation. It was the remaining members of that last boat who. So that's why Lapu Lapu is important in our history. It shows, uh, you know, defiance of uh, colonialism at that time. That's fantastic. Uh, Brother Sal also mentioned here that, interesting, did not know that about the flag, which that, that was pretty cool. That caught me out too. And, uh, I mean, what more of a statement can you have than that, right? It's, uh, <laughs> the same statement was made on the Texas flag. The, the five-pointed star on the Texas flag, according to an 1855 speech by a, a Grand Secretary and, and founder of Texas uh, was also chosen for the same reason, which Texas meant friendship or fellowship in a Native American word uh, or Native American language, the Caddo's here in East Texas. And uh, uh, most of the Texas founders were Masons, kind of in a very similar way to the way you were laying out in the, the Filipino narrative and chose the flag for the exact same reason. I, I, That's I'd cool. like to highlight, Brother Robert, that, uh, you know, many non-Masons get it wrong when, when when that connection is brought out and say, oh, they're a secret organization after. No, it has nothing to do with us being a secret organization. We're a very private organization because the teachings you learn internally. But, you know, we're very happy to share this information with anyone, right? Sure. Yeah, I was actually wondering that about the, when, when he showed that, the Texas flag came to mind for me. And I, I was kind of pondering that there's possibility of that, but I wouldn't for sure. So thanks for sharing that, Robert. Let's see. We also got uh, 
Brother Gelling here brought up the Filipino influence here in the United Grand Lodge, New South Wales. I'm not sure what the ACT is in Australia. It's very strong. Perfect. Uh, So it's very strong, and they have a huge credit and are excellent with ritual. That's cool. Yeah. And they're, you know, I I actually visited them in 2010, and uh, brethren there, I mean, hats off. Uh, the most, some of the most proficient ones are uh, Filipinos expats who are who are there in in Sydney. Uh, you know, uh, and and one of them uh, is actually my uh, my classmate in uh, Scottish oh, Rite cool. who, you know, who, uh, awesome. who uh, moved there. Yeah, and then we got one more here. Uh, Brother Victor shares. This is so informative. I love it. One of the best episodes. I know so many Filipino Masons at the lodge I go to. I can't wait to discuss this, uh, what I'm learning here over the next week, or I'm sorry, over next week's meeting dinner. I think I think that's one of my favorite comments I've ever seen on any of our episodes. That That's actually really oh, cool. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I hope, uh, you know, you can bring that for Filipino brethren who have, you know, who have not watched it. They're gonna get a kick out of him knowing oh, yeah. more about Filipino history than, than them. <laughs> well, and what a conversation starter too. Like, I mean, those are some right. of the best uh, best moments you have in Lodge is to make those personal connections and to be able to bridge that gap like that is going to be yep. huge. And I, I really hope that that comes out yes. to be some uh, memorable conversation for you, brother. Let's see. Well, we are at nine twenty-five. Before we go around with some, you know, final thoughts. We need to get to our toast this evening. And Brother Teddy, I want to ask you the honor, if you would mind uh, giving us a toast this evening. Uh, well, uh, you want me to give a toast? Yeah. I'd like to uh, raise my glass to our charger glass uh, to uh, fraternal harmony with, for uh, perpetually between American and Filipino brethren in light of our shared heritage. Here, Thank here. you for giving us a Grand Lodge we truly cherish from all Filipino brethren. Cheers. Cheers. That was strong wow. coffee. That's why I look like this. <laughs> strong Batangueño coffee, sorry. <laughs> we, we won't ask what was in the coffee. It's all good. No, this was a, such a phenomenal episode. Like I said, you know, with, with the connection of, you know, my mother not being from the Philippines, but being born there, I'm still so curious uh, to know the exact lodge my grandpa, you know, visited there. I guess I'll never know that information, but like you said, probably with probably the military. Tried to find it because there are a lot of records here. There's a comment on the chat about uh, my point of that we're growing three to five percent. Uh, I understand there may be a challenge for many American jurisdictions here, but just to highlight my take on that is one word: engagement. Uh, mm. There, are, you know, uh, the thing with uh, I noticed. With uh, and I I don't mean this in any negative way is that yeah for English Freemasons it's more a social club it's becoming more a social club uh, and uh, for Americans it's it's all about you know whether we should be more traditional you know focus on Blue Lodge we don't have those norms here what we truly focus on is building fraternal bonds and making Masonry a part of practical life when we the lodges you know. We have shirts that say, you know, Masonic widows, because because brethren have so much fun being in lodge that uh, the widows are the, the sorry the wives are getting suspicious, right? So in one word, it's engagement. If you can get that kind of culture, maybe you know 
maybe uh, that can help also with growth. Definitely, definitely, I agree. Well, I want to go around and kind of touch on some uh, some wrap up points uh, for this evening. We we've covered so much, and I'm looking forward to having additional chats with you in the future. Sure. Um, but brother Robert, what, what's kind of your thoughts at this point? Uh, I've, I've been really intrigued by this. I've, I've spent a lot of the time uh, looking up some of the names and, and uh, moments in Filipino history that you've been referring to and, and kind of reading over it while you were talking to help give me some context with what you were talking about. It's it's, uh, it's very interesting stuff, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading more. I'll give you another fun fact. The one who charged my great-grandfather of libel, Dean Worcester, okay, in 1920, my great-grandfather, the one who was supposed to be a convicted uh, felon but was uh, pardoned by Francis Burton Harrison, he was made Secretary of the Interior. So he oh. got his little revenge on, on <laughs> he got the post of Dean Worcester Damn. a decade later. So, you know, fun fact. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, that highlights, you know, it was, uh, it gradually became a partnership towards nation building, particularly in the 1930s, when eventually mm -hmm. we, we uh, the U.S. passed that law. Unfortunately, uh, because of World War II, you know, we had to rush things a bit in 1946, but it gradually became a very solid partnership between Americans and Filipinos here uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, being the country that we are now. And 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 uh, we, we, we uh, highlight that we, you know, we all, will always cherish that shared heritage. Definitely. And uh, Brother Teddy, before we move to you for wrap-up thoughts, we had one comment come in here that you might be able to address. Let's see, Brother Victor here just said, I would like to be enlightened regarding the other Grand Lodges in the Philippines that claim legitimacy uh, like GL and F and Sovereign Grand Lodge of the Philippines. Yes, well, there are several, like I said, in my, uh, you saw one of my slides, there are occasional mm -hmm. schisms. There are uh, several not just one, but several clandestine grad lodges. I mean, remember, I highlighted earlier Filipinos, unlike Englishmen, you have three Englishmen together in one locality, they will form a club. You have three Filipinos in one locality, you will get three clubs. And that's just us. That's, you know, that's what uh, it's in our nature to, you know, have these, you know, uh, it's, it's also, you know, culture. But we are the only in the world. Grand Lodge of the Philippines is the only regular Masonic Grand Lodge recognized not just by the UGLE, but all other regular Grand Lodges in Amity with the UGLE. So yes, there, you know, there are clandestine lodges, but they are not in our universe, in our Masonic universe. Fantastic. Thank you so much for going through that. So brother, we, we have covered some really deep and phenomenal stuff, uh, information packed episode that I, for one, am going to have to go back and rewatch <laughs> and dig through this because like, there's so much interesting stuff. And your family involvement, ever, I mean, so tightly packed, uh, just well, fantastic. I'm just highlighting, you know, my family because personal involvement. Yo, yeah. There are many, there are many families like this with shared histories. So we, we, we have another clan, the De Monteverdes. They also have two grandmasters. Uh, we have very strong roots. That many Filipino families, once it gets started, you know, they, they build real roots in the craft. Definitely. So I'm just highlighting in mind because of personal experience. But it's 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 the norm in my country. That is so cool. 
Well, Brother Teddy, uh, for kind of final thoughts, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little peek of where Freemasonry is today uh, and kind of what, what do you want people to take away from this episode highlighting Freemasonry in uh, the Philippines? Well, if there is one thing that I really want to highlight uh, in terms of where the craft now is that uh, outside of the Philippines, my observation is that the, the, the craft is on a quest to be, you know, uh, to be more like a service association or a social fraternity when it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. It should not be. I think our real relevance goes back to our roots of building uh, men better. And we do that by focusing on practical applications. And that's what I'm doing. If you look at I also have my YouTube channel, there are examples there. Practical applications of how you can use the teachings of the craft and apply this every day. That's what we're doing here in the Philippines. And that breeds engagement because the brethren there will not see the craft as one of two extremes. They're not going to see it as something esoteric that turns them off, although some brethren would like that. But they're not going to see it as esoteric. And they're not going to see it as something that Let's just go through it so we can have the drink beer after. No, they're now going to see it, the craft, as something that touches their lives every day and that they can use as a guide, as a reflection. We, we, we in, our, in our jurisdiction, we actually have a recommended reflection at the end of the day where you observe what you did, like an entered apprentice, assess what, you know, assess uh, the, your actions for the day and uh, using the discretion and wisdom, like a worshipful master, determine where you what what are you proud of, what you should have done better, and what you will do tomorrow. So it, it can be practical applied. And when you have that kind of engagement, when we go back to our roots of building men better, I think that is where truly Freemasonry will continue to grow, not just in the Philippines, but across the world. Thank you. Definitely. I couldn't have said that better myself, brother. Well, uh, you, you mentioned there your YouTube channel. I want to give you an opportunity real quick for some shameless plugs. Definitely. How can brothers get a hold of you? How can uh, they find out more about Grand Lodge of Philippines and, and definitely your YouTube channel as well? Oh, well, for me, it's very easy. If you're on Facebook, you just look me up, uh, Teddy Kalau, my YouTube channel. You can put uh, uh, Teodoro Kalau Fourth or Teddy Kalau. You can just uh, put it on the search function of YouTube. You'll get to the YouTube channel. We have. I basically put up my entire webinar series when I was during my second term as a, as a, as a senior grand lecturer. So if you want the flavor of well, how we practice here, that's, that's, not, that's just a part of it. Uh, there, we have other Masonic writers and researchers here, but I'm of the practical school, so it's something that's readily accessible. So they can look at that up in YouTube. They can reach out to me by messaging me on Facebook. And uh, we have... A uh, very accessible uh, internet website, glphilippines.org. They can, if they want to reach out to the Grand Lodge uh, directly, they can go it, through it that website. Thank you so much for letting me plug that, uh, Brother Alex. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll get with you and I will get those links uh, put into the comments of uh, these videos as well on Facebook, YouTube, and all that. Um, so, brother, to, to wrap up this evening, first and foremost, I just want to thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedules to join us. You have shared some phenomenal history. Like I said, 
information packed episode that I am excited to watch all over again to go and pick out all those tidbits. And I'm sure I'm going to be shooting you some messages to, uh, to work through some of that stuff. But yeah, I just want to thank you so much for all you do. I'm looking forward to your future in the grand line there and uh, what that brings. And uh, with that, we never never know. We never know, but I think you're going to do great things, my brother. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us live this evening as well. And I'm sorry, brother Teddy looked like you had one more thing to say. I I just want to say it's truly been a privilege for, thank you for inviting me, brother Alex and brother Robert. Uh, Happy to go on again if uh, on another topic, but really uh, I, you know, like you, I truly enjoy these sessions and I hope the, those watching, particularly brethren abroad, across the pond in the, the across the Pacific pond get to know a little bit of our grand lodge better with the, the session today thank you so much yeah thank you well we definitely want to welcome you to the historical life family I know we're definitely going to uh, hit you up for some more episodes uh you, you're one of those guys got so much to share so we'll definitely have you on in the future for everyone watching us live thank you so much uh, make sure that you like and subscribe so you don't miss future content and with that we will see you all soon take care everybody